and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Matthew has upped his locomotive by one and has delivered a pink delivery cube to Los Angeles. Yes, we are happy to report that Maddie and his wife are the proud new parents of a beautiful baby girl, Joni Isley Robinson. Yay! Yay, indeed. Mom and baby are doing great. Dad is a bit of a wreck. Everything is exactly as it should be. So I'm sorry to say for all of those who have been in our baby naming pool, we've all lost. There was a ton of money on Galadriel. I personally am really kind of hurt. Uh, mine was basically... Uh, Mor- Pauline, right? No, it was Morgana, I hate Avalon, Robinson. And he, I don't think he even considered it. Why not? I don't, I, 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 it just it's, it's, it was rough. Ridiculous. It was rough. Ridiculous. We are in round four, turn four. And uh, this week, folks, we're going to be reviewing a brand new game, Paladins of the West Kingdom. And of course, as uh, always, this round, uh, the theme is old school. So we're going to be moving our meeples down memory lane with our very special guest this week. Or oh, I, guess, I guess you're not a guest because uh, this time we're family. It's like, family. Like, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I was watching uh, Breaking Bad, and we are literally the Walter White and Frank Schrader of the board game group. <laughs> and depending on which context, who's who, I don't know. It, but I was thinking like, oh, you know, I was watching season five because I I'm went. I'm pretty sure I'm the one who knocks, but. Oh, uh, well, as you wish. Well. But, but there was this, I was, they were sitting, there were, it was like, Walter White has always already been, you know, exposed as the the meth dealer and they're having lunch like staring off each other that's like me and tom (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i can't disagree uh in case you are relatively new to the podcast that is the voice of paul the game breaker is here paul let's get right into it let's start talking about uh, uh this week's game night on tuesday we played newton and we played the game we're going to review today, Paladins of the West Kingdom. But we also did something very special. We did. We played uh, just one, but we go, let's make it super. So what we did was we uh, grabbed some Time's Up cards. Now, there's some debate as to where this idea came from. Uh, David Gilson, good fan of the show, friend of the pod, he claims that this was his, this was his invention. This was his suggestion. I, I get, he can't be an invention because he didn't do it. But it was his. It was. But he <laughs> did concept. say it was his suggestion. The, yes. The problem is, like you know, with everyone working in Hollywood, we know that you can't uh, copyright an idea. No, no. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that is that there were six other people at the table, and most of us were there at the exact same game night he was at, and nobody remembered him saying this. But I believe that he did. Uh-huh. I believe that he probably did. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm sure he. It would be within his. Uh, skill set to come up with that just one is a very very fun simple cooperative party game and that's that's a rare combination it is a word game in which there will be a card that has five simple words on it uh the person who cannot see the card picks a number between one and five everybody else has to write a single word on their little whiteboard that is going to help make that person say that one word we then reveal the things to each other and uh, if anybody duplicates anybody else, both of those clues are out. So only the clues that are unique are the ones that the person can guess from. It is a fun game. It's a really fun game. It's, it's, uh, it's a good game as it is. The problem is uh, we went through the cards a little too quick. Like eventually the, the cards that it came with became a little too 
easy? Was that is that too hard? Yeah, to- no, no, no. I, I listen. I think they always were a little easy for mm-hmm. our group, and we found ourselves hitting the same uh, the same card, the same words, exactly. over and over again. I don't feel like we played it that much, so I'm not sure why. It, it may just be random fluke that we just randomly were hitting the same things. But even that said. The cards were a little easy. The words, you know, on, on any given card, there was one somewhat hard word, and the rest of them, they, they weren't they weren't too tricky. We wanted to up the uh, the difficulty level of a game that we liked, and so we brought out another game we absolutely love. Time's Up title recall time's up is basically a party game that is based on the public domain game celebrities which is everybody writes the names of several celebrities on pieces of paper you draw one out of the hat and it is your job to get your partner to say the name of the celebrity by you getting them to to you know saying things exactly that are going to be like that Title Recall is the better version of it. So the original Time's Up is just like celebrities. It's the names of people. Title Recall is the names of shows, movies, songs, songs, plays, uh, books, sure, that kind of thing. And it's wonderful. It's really, really fun. Now, it can make this game really hard. Flappy Birds is what I called it. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys don't know what Flappy Birds is, it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous video game that uh that you just die over and over and over again you could just try it like uh just go on the internet just say flappy burbs there's a little like uh flash game you could play and you'll 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 know what it is in like four seconds but paul it's that's not that's not a good board game that's a bad board game it's people like made a lot of money from that because people there's a there's a certain addiction to like going up against the impossible and you know and there's low stakes and it goes quick like that that aspect like people play flappy birds and so with this, like this was at, at a time when we were we started playing this, it was really hard. Like Watership Down. How are you going to, you know, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> it's tough. It's, listen, it definitely ups the difficulty of just one. But we figured out ways to mitigate that because Paul, Paul was a, a Paul was camp Flappy Birds from the get go. He That's was right. like, he was like, no, I want it to be impossible. I want us to get one in the entire game. And I'm like, I don't, Paul, I don't think that's the best. I don't know, but I don't it's think that's so much game. more fun that way. That's it's not people, the best game. Uh, Anyway, the thing is that the Time's Up cards, they have two different clues on the card, right? There's the yellow, yellow. side and there's the blue side. So what we decided as our, as our house rule is that the person whose turn it is closes their eyes and everybody else gets to look at the two clues and they vote and decide which one they're going to do. That alone made the game much easier because yeah. you, you can choose the one that... Uh, listen, sometimes both choices we could have done, but one was a lot more fun. Fun is... It, we shifted it to like you know, hey, this is a fun game that we can do together, and this as and then we shifted it to this is a fun game we can lose at together. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the thing: just one already already creates this thing where you are disincentivized from giving the easy clue, and sometimes that can be horrible. In this game, Alfred, if you guys don't remember Alfred, that's okay. Neither do we, but he used to be a member of Game Brain before he abandoned us uh he came to our game night and he got a card and we chose for him smells like teen spirit the famous nirvana song the song that launched a million grunge bands and uh so we're writing these clues on here and we show each other the clues and we realize nobody wrote nirvana nobody wrote grunge grunge nobody wrote cobain <laughs> nobody wrote because you're allowed to write any one word you want as long as it's not a word in the title nobody wrote that 
And uh, Paul, you wrote Buddhism? That's right. You wrote Buddhism. Because for some reason, in my mind, I thought, oh, we're supposed to say Nirvana. I, 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 I flipped it. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, I can't say Nirvana. So uh, Buddhism, that's, I think that'll, that'll get them to the album. That'll be it. They go like, oh, wait, it's the song. Whoops. <laughs> I wrote Outrageous. Which isn't in the song. <laughs> which isn't in the song. I was thinking Entertain Us and If You're Stupid and Contagious. I think Outrageous is one of those words. So I'm going to write that because mm-hmm. I'm going to write one of the, one, one sure. of the more memorable lyrics. And yet, nonetheless... God bless him. Alfred looked at all all the clues, and despite us being just just about as unhelpful as possible, he says, "Pretty sure it smells like Teen Spirit, but I don't get half of these." <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was Trey and uh, David. Like Trey had Nevermind, yes, so, yes, uh, which and, is the uh, album title, and uh, David had Odor, which I thought, like, oh, there you go. That's all you really need if if you if you're and he's musically minded anyway. Yes, so. yes. And I and and our much less helpful clues somehow <laughs> somehow just just gave him just that little nudge saying, kind of think this is where they this is where they're going. Anyway, that for us is the proof in the pudding. That yeah. is the that that says that That's hey, right. guess what? This is this is viable. Epic win. Epic win. This is viable. <laughs> it's way more fun because it's a tough game now, and it's exactly. really really exciting. Uh, Newton the. Jury on that is that it is a great game by those crazy Italians. Um, the only thing is, is that it has a lack of player interactivity that keeps it from the greatness of uh, some of their other designs. Uh, that's kind of where we're feeling on that. We we will probably do a review on definitely. that. In the, we'll, we definitely will. It's way good enough to do that. And then Palace of the West Kingdom, we're not going to tell you much about that because we're going to be deep Reviewing diving, yep. deep diving into it. Uh, and then on Friday, we did a super short version of Super Just One. Super just one, yep. As we call it. Uh, we played a heartbreaker of an Avalon game. I don't know. It was, I thought you did really well, Tom. Like, I, like if you were playing against me, you did very well. I mean, you lost to Trey. But, well, okay. But, okay, so I was Merlin, okay? The number of times <laughs> people guess that I'm Merlin is jaw-dropping, right? So right. when I'm Merlin, it's really hard to win. It's, it, it, it's really, really hard to win. Uh, I would say that when somebody else is Merlin and I'm basic blue... I get called Merlin forty percent of the time in those situations, so it's it's tough. It's tough to yeah. Well, like for me, like you know, I was going like, oh, Tom is Tom is Merlin, and he's playing as if he doesn't know I'm a bad guy. I was going like, well done, Tom. Well done. Like you know, you made me believe (laughs) that you were genuinely engaged in my in my BS, and like, oh well, I I didn't see that. Wow, that was really good. So I kudos to you. Now. Thank you. As far as like uh, Trey, he was like, well, you know, Tom is obviously, it, you were his first choice. So I, I think he had a beat on you, but my narrative had spun I'm, in a different I'm way. I'm often his first choice. Trey is the most dangerous person at the Avalon table. He is, he's gotten infinitely better and he is. He is uh, definitely most improved. No yeah, question about yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, and, and I have, I have a hard read on him. Like, you know, his, uh, his tells are, are so minor that, I, you know, I would. He's gotten, he's gotten good. Yeah, no. Maybe he's all grown up. We also split up into Teotihuacan and again we played Paladins. I have now played Paladins at uh, two player, three player, and four player. So I think we are loaded for pair and ready to review this thing. What do you say, Paul, that we get into the, the news? news? Let's go to the news. What's the, new? Here we go. Good evening, Mr. Mr. There's a bunch of game news. Let's see if we can get right through it. Uh, first, Dune is shipping. Lots of people are getting their copies. Some people have gotten their copies a, a long time ago, but the, there seems to be a watershed of Dune that is coming out. 
I took a look at it. My copy is going to be coming in probably on Monday. But Maddie canceled his Dune order. Oh, no. Or oh, yes. Oh, yes is the answer. Because what he found out was he found out that there was this special exclusive Kickstarter that had miniatures. Really? Really? Like a a Kickstarter surprise surprise. Which is an exclusive Kickstarter. I'm sorry. Not Kickstarter exclusive. Gale Force 9 exclusive if you order directly from them. Which supposedly is exclusive. And then he found out that Barnes & Noble was selling, selling Dune delivery available today for the, you know, for about five, ten bucks more. Sure, sure, sure. That comes with those exclusive minis that you are not supposed to be able to get any other way. Wow. Well, Canceled yeah. his order, ordered that, came in, and I was like, oh, dude, my copy already shipped. Why didn't you tell me? And he was like, Tom, it's miniatures. Why Why would I tell you about something in which there are miniatures? Accurate. accurate. Totally is, accurate. It's, it's not inaccurate. Yeah. So we open up the box. We pull the things out, and I'm saying, oh, what are the minis? And the minis come out in this tiny little plastic bag. There are a grand total of three minis for the game. Take a guess. You, you, you and I, we have played this sure, game sure. many, many, many times. What do you think the three minis in the game of Dune are? Uh, just three types or three total? Three, three total. That's it. Uh, maybe, uh, what do you call it, Arakeen? Arakeen? Nope. Nope. So not a, not a location. Here, okay. Storm? Yes. Boom. Storm. Okay. The storm is one. Okay. A worm? Uh, the worm is the second one. Good, good, good. And the third one's a little hard to get. The third one is one that uh, a card that you played last time. I played a card last. Oh, what did I play? I give up. I yield. Family Atomics. Family Atomics. Oh yes, yes. Family Atomics. There's a nice little mushroom cloud. These are tiny miniatures. They're they're not. They're not. They're. And and the worm isn't even a worm. It's just the the mouth of the worm coming up out of the so uh, out of the sand is all it is. It kind of looks like a flower. You don't you don't need to spend an extra ten bucks to to get those. Listen, if you're a completist or you're like Maddie, I mean, I'm sure he's painting them right now. Uh, <laughs> but they're 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 cute, but mm-hmm. they're they're not at all necessary to the game. We are going to be doing a a Dune review very very soon. Sure. Just, we're just waiting for the new copy. We've played it mm-hmm. very recently with my super old 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 copy from nineteen seventy. The question is: Is Matt going to be able to step away from his daughter to play Dune? No, he definitely won't. No, are you, are you sure? I mean, like you know, like the, the kid's got to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a newborn baby sleeps for an hour. At a time, oh, okay. and then is up for an hour, and then down for an hour. It's just not gonna happen. We, we we can't we can't do that. We can't do that. We we have to protect we have to protect him from himself. Wow, well, there you go. Right, you know, like don't you think that's what we do with addicts? All right, that was Dune. A little bit of uh, I don't know how to phrase this other than to say this is a little bit of unfortunate news. Deluvia Project is a game that we talked about. Ben M uh, brought that to our table a couple weeks ago, and I was saying some very, very wonderful things about it. I, I continue to maintain that it is a fantastic game. I really, really like it. Um, but there have been reports of some copies having mold in them. Uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at? There's nothing to laugh about. It's just so random, like, you know. It's significant enough that there were uh, there were recalls on the, on the game and Tasty Minstrel uh, Tasty Minstrel games are great. They we think that they are 
really up there in terms of people that are, you know, a publisher that is responsive to customers. They're, they're gamers themselves. Uh, yeah, Seth, Seth Jaffe, you know, friend of the pod and just friend in general is a really good guy. And they are they are bending over backwards to make sure that everybody is made right in this situation. So I, all I would say is that if you are in a game store and you see a copy of Deluvia Project, just know that there's a possibility that there might be a mold issue in that game. So our Game Brain recommendation is to not buy Deluvia Project until they have sorted this out. Next up, it is Kickstarter News Barrage. Barrage, the fifth player expansion is on Kickstarter as we speak. And of course, it's an amazing game. That said, production difficulties, right? There is a lot of complaints out there because everything from the chips, the water mm-hmm. pieces that are one of the only components in the game that moves are these flat little things that are impossible to pick up. And that was a, that was a mistake. Uh, boards warping, wheels warping. There's cardboard components that weren't uh, working the way they should. The boxes were cracking and, and ripping. Basically, they had a full-blown nightmare in terms of production difficulties, which for such an amazing game is a real shame. But they are doing a lot of things to take care of that. And this five-player expansion also deals with that because when you order this on Kickstarter, you can also get all of these little add-ons. You can get add-ons for, let (laughs) let me get the list of things. You can get wooden drops, which are replace the old drops, new execs, new wheels, wooden wheels, a replacement box, metal coins, uh, more machineries because those little mechs mm-hmm. that you have in the game, there aren't quite enough for you know some, sure. some play styles and things like that. But the game itself, the expansion, has a two-sided board. Oh. It has a five-player-sided board, and it has an alternate four-player sided board. Basically, they're giving you a whole different board for your for the game that you already love. That's four-player. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked many times about how uh, having a fifth-player option uh, for our size game group is crucial. That's really it. it increases by 40 percent the odds of that game being played. But to also in with that come up with a new four-player board. Boy, that just increases the longevity of this game by so much. And, and they have two new characters too. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they do. They have two. They have two new characters that uh, look kind of interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, tough to tell at this point how they're gonna how they're gonna play, how they're gonna be. But boy, oh boy, I love the look of this uh, expansion. I think it's gonna be great. Let's move on to the next thing. Next thing is Europa Universalis. Okay, so. Uh, if you know the name Europa Universalis, it's probably because you have played the video game. The video game is a classic uh, PC game, 4X epic strategy game. What a lot of people don't know is that Europa Universalis became a famous PC game because it was first a board game. A board game back in 1993. Let's see. Uh, Philippe Thibault de- designed the game. It played one to six players. Want to take a guess on the playing time, Paul? Five hours. Five hours. Five hours would be five times 60. That'd be 300 minutes, right? Sure. Yeah. Europa Universalis's playing time was 3,600 minutes. That's about right. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll five factor 10. You know, that's, that's about right. 
3,600 minutes. Um, and when did it come out? When did that come out? 93. Well, you know, it turns out like in 93, there was actually more time in the universe. Now it- <laughs> we are we are shrinking. It is a, it is a de-expanding universe. Yes. Yeah. So there was there's this sort of thing that we talk about in the hobby sometimes, which is monster games. Mm-hmm. Uh, monster games are generally war games that are designed by mad geniuses that are these huge, epic, unbelievably difficult to access, unbelievably difficult to understand, and super long to play games. Um, Most monster games are these things that people buy, they collect, and they have never, ever played. Uh, I think the grand poobah of them all, the greatest of all of the, the least playable game ever, is a game called Campaign for North Africa. 1979. So that was, uh, so I said 3,600 minutes for mm-hmm. Europe Universalis. Uh, the campaign for North Africa, 60,000 minutes. Well, well, think about that. That's what, uh, 1,000 hours? Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's 1,000 hours. Well, how much do you think that game cost? 100 bucks? Oh, it's, it's, it's impossible to find now. It's like yeah, 500 bucks. Yeah, but like well, at the time. Yeah, probably about, a, probably sure, about sure. that. Maybe 80. So like, you know, 1,000 hours, that's, for entertainment value, assu- oh. assuming you know, that's, that's, and let's be clear, high, high value. If you want to play it in sixty thousand, by the way, no board game is plays in the time that it says oh, it plays exactly. because right? it's actually a, a two months teach. <laughs> it's a two months month teach. Oh, it's way worse than that. <laughs> Do you know how many players you need for this game? You need a minimum of eight players. Well, that, that, there you go. It, hey, it, this game is campaign for so, North Africa. So the has, price goes even further down because you divide that by eight. Oh my God! Like the oh. the fun density must be <laughs> amazing. <laughs> this game has rules in war games. Rules that are these tiny little things that you can never remember, but are for historical accuracy and don't fit into the game at all. Are called chrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has one of the most infamous chromes in the world, which was. You're in North Africa, right? So you need water and you need gas and you need this and stuff. They had a rule where the British jerry cans that hold their fuel and mm-hmm. hold their water were less well designed than the Axis powers things. German engineering. Exactly. So for a portion of the game, right, from 40 to 41, the jerry cans are going to evaporate. And, and there are these spreadsheets. There are these huge, this is pre-Excel. Yep. So everybody in the 10-person team is basically doing this massive logistics puzzle on okay so i have to calculate for the for the water evaporation the the fuel evaporation in each one of my jerry cans and then they have to be distributed out to these people and oh, it is absolutely insane uh europa universalis is less so <laughs> <laughs> but it is still a largely very very super difficult game to play now once it came to the pc Boy, oh boy, they found their they found their their right. place. Yeah, it, it's a it was a really great game. Uh, it was a four X game that had diplomacy, that had trade, that had military and economic development, that ha- had all those sorts of things. And so now we come to today when they are basically turning Europe Europe Universalis. The price of power is a brand new game. It got funded in three hours. There's 19 days left on the Kickstarter. Like about a hundred bucks, I think. I'll say this: I look at it and I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I like their video. Their video was like, "Oh my god, this is so epic!" Like, you know, <laughs> are you ready for this, son? Can you take my, you know, my reign? Blah blah blah. 
And but uh, yeah, no, it, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. It says that it plays one to four players or one to six players, depending upon uh, the, the setup. Uh, and it says that it plays in ninety minutes. I do not see how this game is playable in ninety minutes. Now, listen, every we, we talked about this. We talked about how uh, uh, these games can sometimes lie, but boy, oh boy, that that doesn't seem at all close to how long this game is going to have to take, given all the little things. There's tons of cards. The cards have tons of text on them, and when I see that, when I see like a whole bunch of text, that says to me. This is somebody that isn't up on current game design, right? That it maybe. I mean, like I, I feel like there's this aspect where we could probably our group could probably use a game like this just as a change of pace. You know, like I think we we are in a certain like here's what we've been liking and this, there it fits a certain paradigm. Sure, but like a like an older game like for for example, I go like oh you know maybe we should like take a weekend and play here we here I stand. Like, you know, I haven't played that in ages. I love Here I Stand. I know you love Here I Stand. I would love I to do, not. do that. I, I do not. But, like, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you see how, like, you know, that's a different than we've been playing for the last year or so. Like, you know, like, we haven't been playing that style of game. Yeah, I, listen, I am totally up for playing a longer game. I am totally up for playing a game that that is a 4X game. It's very hard to play a 4X game yeah, these days. Yeah, there, there, there are odd ducks now in the current mm-hmm. stream of game design. To a large degree, I got a lot of flack for my uh, my uh, <laughs> review of uh, Twilight Imperium. Mm. I wonder, is this going to be a heartbreaker for me? Sure, sure. Like that is. Or is it going to be something that can truly... Look, if if you could do a game that has trading, that has economic development, that has, that has warfare, that has all of these things, and is a true 4X game, and it's an awesome play, not only am I going to buy it, but I'm going to be shouting from the, the hill. I'm going to be putting together Saturday game days. I'm not going to see my kids. I'm going to be playing the hell out of that thing. So I hope very much that Europe Universalis is it. Um, I'm probably not going to back it myself. But if this is your thing, if you are a, a you know a 4X sort of Euro Thrash uh, a gamer that that loves the PC game and and wants that experience on the tabletop with your friends. Look, there are, there are worse things to do. I would say jump out and and uh, and give it a try. I really am looking forward to playing it. I want to play it at a convention with exactly. people that already know the rules. But yeah, let's let's have at it. You're hopefully skeptical. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Next up, next up. Oh, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. 1861 and 1867 are on Kickstarter. Uh, Railways of the Russian Empire is 1861, and Railways of Canada is 1867. Two, not one, but two 18xx games that are being kickstarted as we speak. It's not quite what it seems, though, because 1867 is basically just an 1861 variant it's a different board it's different cards but the gameplay is uh largely i wouldn't say identical is is the right word but tremendously similar it is it is definitely an 1861 1867 is an 1861 style game that is slightly different uh what can i say about this i will say that these are decent starter games they have forgiving stock market uh, things Uh, to me that's really what it comes down to 
18xx games are either operationally based or they're stock market based. If they're operationally based, then they're about laying the right track and building up your uh, your company and doing the best you can and maybe venturing out and getting a second company. Uh, stock market based games are ones in which what you are doing is you are maneuvering yourself into a situation where you can ransack your own company dump all the shares and leave somebody else holding the bag of a company. So that it's is. remarkably prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that, uh, I, I would say that the operationally based games uh, exist in a world where human nature is not taken into account. Mm-hmm. And the it's really stock market games are more. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because like when I first came to this group, uh, I feel like there was a, I won't say looking down at 18 X games, but there was like this, like, ah, those are for the old crotchety people. And for Matt to be the person to be the vanguard of our, like, oh, my God, 18X games are regret. It's like, it shows a shift in personality. <laughs> like, he's No, yeah, I mean, you have to understand, it's a slight misconception on your part. Uh, we never look down at train games. Uh, we lo- I, I, we look down at train gamers. No, absolutely. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But, like, you know, like 18XX, you know, for all of it is they're cruel games. And you know, and yes. uh, and they and there are two people who like cruel games: cruel people and sociopaths, which I happen to be both. But Matt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Matt is is neither. And so for him to go like, "Oh my God, I love," and then you could just screw this guy by dumping all your stock. It'd be great. I go like, I don't know if I know who you are anymore. <laughs> Look, they are they are very very deep games. They're mm-hmm. very very involved. There is no luck involved. It is literally uh, you are making the moves that are either going to win you the game or lose you the game. It's like a four way uh, boxing match. Yeah, listen, I I was one of the early proponents of Age of Steam. Mm-hmm. I've been pushing everybody in this in this gaming group for for years and years and years to play as much Age of Steam as we can in hopes that one day we could cross over to 1830. The problem is that it, at uh, 1830 was the only 18X games uh, g- game that I really knew and that I'd really played. I'd bought 1857. These are both not starter games at all. So now that we have things like 1861, 1846, 1879, listeners, uh, I apologize. I know I'm just throwing out a bunch of numbers to you. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I understand. It sounds dorky as hell but uh i will say that that each one of these games is different they're they're in a theme but they play very differently uh and those three that i listed are quite good at being a game that you can kind of wrap your head around and get into or not or not right like like i'm i play 18th games i go like ah this is no different than how i approach every single game so there's no shift for me but like for other people, I feel like it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, yeah, anyway, moving on. <laughs> 1861, 1867, available at Kickstarter right now. Uh, and the last thing before we do part two of our Essen preview, we'll just say that uh, Graham Nash of uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and then Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and so on and so forth, had a really interesting interview on Sirius XM Radio this week. He was talking about how he used to play Risk with Jimi Hendrix. And evidently, Jimi Hendrix would be just blitzed out on acid. And uh, Nash could never, ever beat him. And he describes it, quote, He was unbelievable at it. 
He was a military man, you know. He was a paratrooper. And I don't know whether you know that about Jimmy, but no one ever beat him at risk. To which I say, Mr. Nash, I respect you. I respect your respect for Jimmy. I think he probably was great at that game. Uh, being a paratrooper, being a military man has absolutely nothing to do with being good at risk. I don't know. Like I hear that and I go like, how blitzed out were you? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he just could handle his stuff better. <laughs> totally fair. All right, people, this is Essen month. So uh, we're going to part two of our Essen preview. We're going to lay out some, uh, some more things that you can expect to be coming down the pipeline quite soon coming out of Essen. And the first one we're going to talk about is uh, actually the first three are all expansions. Big time in the hobby for expansions. Uh, we have a lot of really great games out there that are eminently uh, expandable. So let's talk about the first one. The first expansion that we have is for Through the Ages. Through the Ages is a top five game of all time. Vladich Vottles, Civilization Killer, really. It's, it's probably the best Civ game that has ever been made. We will see if Europa Universalis passes that. But for right now, Through the Ages is it. It is a New Leaders and Wonders expansion. Uh, if that name sounds very uncreative, my understanding is that the expansion is very uncreative. It's not... Sure. New the, cards. That's right. Uh, new, and not only that, but it's actually replacement cards for the most sure. part. Some of them are new, but a lot of them are replacements. Um, it is taking some of the leaders that everyone would always grab and win with them and nerfing them a little bit, sure, sure. taking some of the leaders that nobody ever grabbed and making them a little bit better. Um, as taking... long as they left Genghis Khan alone. <laughs> <laughs> Genghis Khan, if you don't know, is the, uh, the stiff middle finger of leaders that Paul will invariably play when he plays the game. Everyone plays this guy. It, it, he basically like, nerfs everyone's game. Just, it's the cold water on the whole game. Like, oh my God, my life is so hard now just because he's in the mix. Yeah, uh, Through the Ages is an absolutely phenomenal game. And it does not, let me say this, it does not need fixing. So the fact that Vladich Vadl put out an expansion that fixes a game that needs no fixing, it's a real testament to uh, his precision. Because this is a game that is loved and played quite often by a lot of people. And this is a love letter to them. This is a, hey, you love this game? I'm not going to start throwing in new things. I'm not starting going to start adding new elements that are that are potentially going to dilute the great experience of the game. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this game all over again. It's going to be brand new because you're going to have to re-explore and check out different strategies because the things that you were doing aren't going to work as well as they used to. And now you're going to have to find different paths to victory, right? Everything that that you thought you knew about the game is sure, going to be it's recycling. Different. It's sustainable. It's green. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think that oftentimes when I hear about an expansion comes out and I say it is a expansion that is a fix, mm -hmm. I kind of look down at that to some degree. I'm to some degree I'm like, eh, okay, but you should have, you know, maybe maybe it should have been better. But some of my favorite expansions ever are fixes. Um, the greatest expansion ever. God, not again. Yes, again, <laughs> Tribune. The expansion for Tribune is the most amazing thing, and it's because it isn't just a fix, but it is a fix. It is. It does take it, a good game and make it great. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it is so damn good. 
Anyway, uh, if you love Through the Ages, you must get this expansion because it is going to increase your gameplay uh, by leaps and bounds. Next up coming out is Terraforming Mars Turmoil. We did talk about this already, so we don't need to say much more, except that it's going to add politics into the game. There is going to be a political element to the game. I'm kind of of two minds on it. Uh, I will say that uh, it seems like they're trying to make the game a little democker, which warms the cockle, the the, the uh, of course the, it does the cockles sure. of my heart very much. But I would also say that Terraforming Mars is one of those games that I like every expansion that doesn't create a separate board that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. And I dislike the expansions, colonies, and Venus Next that lead your attention away from the central board. I, I just think that they're not yeah. uh, not as good. Uh, like I'm the weird duck in our group. I'm the person who goes like, "Yeah, Terraform Mars, it's, it's okay." Like all, right. yeah, all the expansions, are like, "Yeah, okay." It's, it's, it's still if you if you like if you if you're a completionist, you're gonna get this. So, oh. <laughs> I, I love that you're just willing to say that in public. Well, well no matter no matter what, just uh, let the chips fall where hey, they may. You know, I you know I live my life out loud. That's great. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean. So wrong, and yet just just boldly proclaiming it. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Hey, I'm going to a Taylor Swift concert, so <laughs> your it's out there now. Your it's taste, out there. Your taste is uh, is on the record. Next and the last expansion I'm going to talk about today is Anachrony. Fractures of Time. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about Anachrony because we have not played Anachrony. That's the one game that we've I've been listening to this this whole podcast. That I go like, why isn't Matt getting this? You know, because this is the game that I thought was, oh wow, this is really interesting. Yeah, it it really is. Listen, the hobby is large. <laughs> there <laughs> there are a lot of games out there. There are a lot of really good games yeah. out there. You can't you can't play them all. Even us. Even you know. Even with our two dedicated game nights, and yep. then lots of little side project game nights. Like, hey, can yeah. you come over for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, things are going to fall through the cracks. Anachrony is one of those things, and it's probably about time that it gets sure. uh, it gets revisited. I think we're going to have to take care of that. Uh, maybe a BGG con. I'll track down sure, a copy sure. and bring. I mean, like, or we go next next year at, at Strategicon. Like you know, I know they have it in the game room. Oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah. We could absolutely do that, and I think we probably should because it is a very well regarded game. Fractures of Time is a, an expansion for it, and I, I gotta say, reading about the expansion, not knowing the base game, is kind of like coming in at you, you know coming in at uh, Avengers Endgame without having seen any sure, sure, Marvel sure. movie. It is. It, it looks dense. It looks fascinating. And it kind of really makes me want to go back and uh, you know watch Iron Man and start o- and start the process. So, Anachrony. That's the next one. That's it for those. Let's talk about some of the original games that are coming out at Essen this year. This is an interesting one. Uh, it's a game called The Artemis Project. Uh, designer Daryl Chow and Daniel Rochi. Artist Josh Capel and Dominic Mayer. Uh, published by Grand Gamer Guild, I believe. This is dice placement. 4X-ish. Okay, I'll, I'll go with 4X-ish game. Basically, Alien Frontiers fans, assemble. This is your game. If you like uh, Alien Frontiers, I do not like Alien Frontiers. I appreciate what Alien Frontiers is. It is a very swingy mm-hmm. game that has some strategy. 
but a lot of it is which dice did you get this turn and how did you use them. Artemis Project takes place on uh, one of the moons of Jupiter. You're colonizing it and you are rolling the dice. You're doing the same thing that you do. It, it, it's very similar to the core mechanic of Alien Frontiers, but I'm hearing from people that love Alien Frontiers that this may actually be better. If that is your love, if that is your passion, if you love that game, and there are a lot of people that do. I don't I don't dis, I don't diss anybody for, for loving that game. It's just a little too chaotic and a little too swingy for me personally. I recommend that you guys check out Artemis Project when it comes down. It's getting some buzz. It's, yeah, I like the artwork in it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Listen, I, I I love you know High Frontier is one of my one of my guilty pleasures, one of my secret favorite games, and it's not so secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe a secret to the people listening. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if I've talked too much about that. But realistic or semi-realistic uh, space expropriation. I think is a really fascinating subject. I'm I'm really really into it. Uh, you know, I, I wear my SpaceX T-shirts all the time. Sure, so. and, and me as the aerospace engineer could care almost less. <laughs> Couldn't care less. Could care less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're you're mostly terrestrial. You're yeah, you know. fair enough. Fair enough. Have you have you done anything outside of geosync? There is a tel- space telescope that's going to uh, the uh, John Wet, and I worked on the predecessor of that one. So. The answer is no, unless Chandra went out. I don't know. I, I might, there's a space telescope that isn't the Hubble that may have actually gone out. Of, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Though. Is it going to a Lagrange point or where is it, it going to be stationed? Like, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, like, like, there's been this evolution of space telescopes. Uh, Hubble was probably the, the, yeah. the one everyone knows. And then there was something called AXAF, which got turned into called Chandra. And then there is this uh, other one. Web Webster, I can't remember, and it's going to be this huge telescope, and I believe it's supposed to, it's supposed to like go even further out, like, uh, and yeah, like it'll be this like really big orbit, like you know, uh, okay. And so I, I, I can. This has been it. Space Talk with Paul and Tom. That's right. We like, want to thank you guys for coming in. Yeah. Next up, would an aerostat in Venus be more survivable for the human race <laughs> than right. Mars? That's right. Europa, it is. By the way, the answer is yes. Sure. Why not? <laughs> gravity. Moving on. Gravity. We need gravity. Okay. Last game I want to talk about today that is going to be coming out at Essen is a game called Sierra West. Uh, Sierra West is not by a designer that I'm particularly familiar with, a gentleman by the name of Johnny Pack Canton. And basically it is set in late 1840s. Pioneers are heading out west, gold rush era. And uh, what is interesting about this game is the design seems to have some elements in it that are quite new. Uh, It has a deck building element, which is not new. It has a worker placement uh, element, which is not new. But what it has is it has multi-use cards that you are going to draft, essentially, and you are going to put out on your board or on your, your... You're basically creating a trail for your prospectors, your uh, people to move around. And the way these cards uh, slot into each other is such that the card has eight, ten different symbols on it. And when you slot that card in with another card or into the board, uh, only a certain number of those, only a few of those symbols are going to be visible. So what you're really doing is you're creating a path whereby your 
person is going to be able to walk over these symbols, collect these resources, and figuring out which way to position that card, which way to use that card, which combination to put them in is going to be a major part of the gameplay. That sounds pretty darn unique. That sounds really, really quite interesting to me. Some of the places your prospector is going to be able to go are going to be collecting resources. Some of them are going to be turning those resources into actions. And listen, I'm always up for a new innovation in terms of game design. And I love, love, love multi-use cards as, a, uh, as an element. Yeah, I wasn't listening. I was looking at the space telescope. You were looking at the space telescope? <laughs> it is called the John Webb Space Telescope, and it's going to orbit the sun. Oh, okay. It's going to be L2 Lagrange point. So L2. Yeah. Good, good, good. For those who don't know, L2 is... <laughs> L2 is one of, uh, one of two Lagrange points, which are between the sun and the Earth. The Lagrange point is where the gravitational uh, forces Pull. of the sun and the Earth are equivalent. Uh, and L2 is known as one of the large Lagrange points. It's, um, some Lagrange points are like trying to balance on a beach ball and the slightest move and you fall off of it. Uh, this one is more like a dent in a pool table where everything is going to sort of fall toward it and fall into it. There'll be lots of little, uh, little micro particles and things like yeah. that. Yeah, it's just a safe place. Very easy to maintain there. You don't need to use a yeah. lot of energy. Once again, this is space talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, brought, to you, brought, by Matt, brought by Matt Robinson and his game group. Oh my God! All right, Paul, let's let's get out of this. Let's yeah. get let's get our heads in the I, game. I think that was the longest news segment ever. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Here we go. Let's get our brain in the right place. Games, games of the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh baby. Can't get better than that. Really can't. Can, cannot get better. Once again, uh, that was Daedalus. That's uh, right. Uh, if, you, if you like this, you'll like the rest of his music, please. Uh, please do look him up. Paul, what's on your brain? Uh, let's see. Two things on my brain. Uh, first is Indonesia. Yes, Indonesia. Like, I uh, love Indonesia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Splatter. Yeah. Um, uh, we, uh, we played that about three weeks ago, and it was like the first time like, where I did things active. I go, I'm going to nerf Tom as long as I can. <laughs> and so is that, isn't that your basic strategy well, in but, most but games? This, this is essential because like you know there's a like you understand the game slightly better than everyone and so i, I knew enough to go uh isolate him for a sec and then uh after that i could play the game i go oh i see how things are coming together and i think trey you know also was the great beneficiary of that because like tom tom was struggling in some remote corner trying to find uh transport uh, for his goods and and we were able to if Ryan clicked for me at least and I go oh I need to play this game again before it fades and have to relearn it again so that has been on my brain uh, that's this, very unfortunate uh, the second thing is I was it, it, this came up uh, on Tuesday when Jesse and I we kind of butted heads on uh, super just one where he would go like, you know, you're, you guys are cheating. This is cheating. Paul, you're cheating. Stop giving, you know, an extra clue. Or, and then I'm going like, we're just, it's like midnight, you know, on a, on a school night. Like, we're, we're just playing for fun. And I realized that Jesse, uh, his essential game presence is one of uh, joy through competition. And I was thinking, hmm, you know, we could probably do something where uh, if, we, if we did like a master class, like, you know, take a game that, uh, we all play and uh, 
talk about each move that we do, like it would bring everyone up to this level that uh, would make the competition more fierce. And, you know, that would help Jesse out. Not that I'm in the market <laughs> to do that, but, but I feel like that would make it more, uh, more competitive, like it, things more tight. So like the idea of like, well, you, for example, you are particularly good at Indonesia. The, uh, the way it would go is like, okay, I'm doing this because X, Y, and Z. I'm bidding because X, Y, and Z. And everyone would do that on their t- turn and people would learn. And as they elevate, we'd get Indonesia onto the board more, I think. That's just my thought. That's fair enough. I, I think so. Um, yeah, spotter games are, are, are difficult because it is one of those things where you have to learn the game. And then once you've learned the game, four weeks later, all of that, uh, all of those little things. It's not that you need to learn the rules of the game. It's that there is a feel to the game. It's like, oh, this a rhythm. is. Yeah, th- there is. There is. And you lose that rhythm uh, if you don't play it often enough, which is tough. Uh a uh, food chain magnet is a very mm-hmm. similar situation where uh, you can feel like you're playing it for the first time ever again if you haven't played it in three months. But I will say this about uh, about Jesse. Jesse's complaint, I think, was was valid when we were talking about Super Just One because it is a cooperative game, and we can break a cooperative game by not following the strict rules of a cooperative game. The only problem is is that we were sort of trying to tweak and adjust the game as we played it to affect the difficulty level. We is a broad. <laughs> uh, you weren't because you were plenty happy playing Flappy Birds. Nobody wins. Everybody loses every time. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but that's one of the things that's on my brain is, is Super Just One. Uh, I think it's been a hugely successful experiment. And I'm thinking, we did what it. other... Like, Thanks, Obama. <laughs> what other games do we have that that maybe we could do that for? Are, are there games that were like, you know what, I like this game, but I don't love it. And is there, is there you know, a sort of um, handyman game design? Sure, like, a, like a mashup in the way. Yeah, or, or just or just handyman game design. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to hire a professional and, and so do right. do a whole redo like, of the exactly. thing. We don't need Kickstarter. But, we just, right. <laughs> but if I take a rubber band and I put it in the you know in the in, in the mm-hmm. in the toilet in a certain way, it stops making that noise. Maybe we could maybe we could do that. And I bet you there's a bunch of other games we can do. Uh, the other thing is is uh, next weekend I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be uh, um, doing some uh, screenwriting lectures at a, a college and that. And while I'm there. You know, I'm always looking at what musicals, what plays, what you know, what are the things that I'm going to do while I'm there. Uh, being a little cast trapped right now, <laughs> not, not a ton. Uh, but one of the things is um, uh, they have a void center there, and there's a new oh, void. There's a new void. X Men thing, not X Men, like the Avengers. The thing. Avengers, yeah. Avengers Damage Control is just out now, and I'm very much looking forward to that. If you guys have never done uh, the Void, I highly recommend you try it. Let me explain what it is. What it is is um, it is a VR experience where you where you walk through rooms you walk into spaces and they have effects that go beyond simply what you're seeing and what you're hearing so you put on the headset you put on the the earphones um i'll I'll explain one that i did right i did uh, a ghostbusters one that they had and you put on the headset, you put on the earphones, and the cord is dangling from the ceiling. So it's it's kind of it's going to move with you as you go. And the moment I put it on, I look at my wife, I look at my kids, and they are Ghostbusters now. I think my mom, my wife is Ernie Hudson. So my son was Dan Aykroyd, right, or or the equivalent sure. of that. 
and the rifle that I was holding, which already looked kind of cool, now is glowing and pulsing, and it's got the you know the part the particle weapon part of it is is glistening. And as we go through these these rooms, we're literally where there is where I see a wall, I can reach out and touch it, and there's a wall. Now, if I took the headset off, it's just a plain gray wall. Here, it's you know, it's it's got texture and it's got all sorts of stuff going on. When I go through a doorway, I'm going through an actual doorway, and then we hit this area where there is a elevator with a spectral force there, and the spectral force just this this thing just sort of breathes out at us, and we see this 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 dark, awful mist coming at us, and all of a sudden I feel the wind of it on my face. There is a blower somewhere in in there that I can't see because it's blind to me that is hitting me like that. Um, Slimer appears in there, and he races right for us. We're shooting at him. He's dodging this way and that. Where we're shooting is where we're shooting. It is tracking perfectly, and then he flies right through my chest, and the... The vest that I'm wearing has got haptic sensors in the front and in the back, and it shakes, it rumbles the front and then rumbles the back in such a way that it feels like something just went through me. Uh, so it's basically Spider-Man Far From Home, Mysterio's power. Yes. No, it feels, <laughs> it really does. It feels like, it feels like I'm in Mysterio universe. Um it is hugely uh, the the production value is so high, the immersion is so wonderful, and these are you know fifteen minute thirty minute experiences max, uh, but they really are phenomenal. They really are um, things that you're not going to be able to do with a with a home rig and kind of the state of the art for where for where VR is. If you want to go to a different world for fifteen thirty minutes, highly recommend that you try that. Uh, next up, we got eight by eight challenge. There is nothing to report on the eight by eight challenge. You heard what we played. We failed. We failed again. We failed again. We failed again. But we'll, we'll get to it. And next up is our game review. Shall we get into it, Paul? Let's do it. Paladins of the West Kingdom is out right now, so it's a 2019 release. The designer is the designers are Shem Phillips and S. J. McDonald, and the artist is Michalo uh, Dmitrievsky. Uh, published by Renegade Game Studios. It, it plays one of four players, uh, 90 to 120 minutes, which, of course, means 120 to 150 minutes. As it does. <laughs> <laughs> These guys do did Raiders of the North Sea. They did Architects, uh, which we reviewed previously. And uh, their games all look similar. They have a similar aesthetic and a similar kind of design. Uh, but let's talk about what this game specifically is is saying that it is. Uh, this is supposed to take place in West Francia in 900 AD. And despite recent efforts to develop the city, outlying townships are still under threat from outsiders. Saracens scout the borders, Vikings plunder, even the Byzantines uh, have shown their darker side. And as noble men and women, we're going to gather the workers to defend our cities against their enemies. We're going to build fortifications. We're going to spread faith throughout the land. And we are not alone in this thing. We got the paladins who are going to help us out. So this is a victory point salad game in which there are tons of different ways to earn victory points. And there are basically three economies in the game. Uh, Economy number one is money. Uh, lots of different actions are going to cost money. Second one is provisions. Uh, provisions, some actions do not cost money. They cost provisions instead, and you're going to have to use that. Uh, and the third and most important economy is people. There are lots and lots of uh, little meeples that you will be gathering at the beginning of the game, and you will be taking actions that sometimes will give you more of them. 
that are of several different colors. Uh, the white are the peasants. The peasants have nothing special about them. Any place that doesn't specify what color you need to go on, a peasant can do it. The black pieces are the clergy, and there are some actions, actions like pray, for instance, absolve, uh, things like that, commission, that require a clergy member to be taking that action with you. Green are scouts, um, blue are traitors, fighters are reds, and then there is the purple. Purple is special, purple are thieves, and they can imitate anybody else. So they can, they're sort of wild cards. Wild cards, thieves. 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 Interesting things about the game. The player mat that is before you is the size of the entire shared player board uh, that is out there. In fact, there is no one player board. There are two small, thin, long player boards uh, that generally go side to side, and they'll look like a a runway, uh, essentially. One part of them is where uh, the cards that... The, the round cards, the game is played over seven rounds, uh, go. And the other player, the other part is areas of the kingdom which have spaces that when you place a piece out there, you'll be placing either a monk who is coming to uh, bring the faith to the land or a garrison, which is the military coming in there and locking down that land. And each one of these spaces has certain advantages, bonuses you're going to get for going there. But the main main motion of the game, the main actions of the game are taking these little pieces that you've got, these little men, and you're going to be playing them on your own player board. There is no place on the main board, at least in the start of the game, uh, for you to place any pieces. So you would say that it's worker placement. It's, uh, the way I would say it, think of it as Orleans. Sure. Yeah, that, that's basically how I, I view uh, the setup. You know, you have your board... You're going to have a number of, like in Orleans, you have like discs, but like uh, in this, you'll have, uh, you'll, you'll wind up picking a number of, uh, of meeples and you'll be placing them. And eventually you'll have enough of an engine that you can place on the uh, other boards. Sure. So there are actions such as develop, which allows you to take a little house and you can put it on another part of your own player board, turning an action that requires three people to suddenly only requiring two people. There are actions of hunt and trade, which allow you to get more of those provisions or more of that money. Game of recruit, where you can recruit some cards that are available on the on the main board, which are friendly villagers that will give you little bonuses. Sometimes you can either get bonuses that are one time or bonuses that extend for the rest of the game. The prey action is an interesting one. When you take the prey action, you pay a little bit of money and you remove all of the pieces from one of the places where you, one of the actions you have already taken. Those pieces go back into the main supply so you don't get to use them again, but it does open up that space to be used for a second time. Uh, Conspire will turn any color piece into a purple piece. Remember, purple are the thieves and they can imitate any other piece. By doing that, they are tremendously valuable, but they come at a cost because when you take a thief, you have to also take a suspicion card. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, suspicion cards, uh, the mechanic is fairly simple. When you turn over a suspicion card, it will either grant you zero, one, or two taxes from a little tax pool, which can range from five taxes to eight, eight uh points worth of taxes. Those taxes are basically money. They're just money that you're going to get and be able to use. The trick is, is that when that tax pool is empty, it triggers a little inquisition round. The inquisition round is super simple. 
Everybody counts up how many of those purple suspicion cards they have. Everybody that has the most suspicion cards is going to be able to get rid of half of them, rounded down. So if you have three cards, you only get rid of one. If you have four, you get rid of two. And it will allow you to uh, take a debt card. A debt card is minus three points at the end of the game. But there's good news. Um, There are actions where it is possible to repay that debt. And if you do, you flip that card over, and it becomes plus one point instead of minus three points. Yay. That, that's, as a person who keeps on doing that in the game, it's not a winning strategy. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it is to some degree. I think, I think it's a wrong strategy in this game to not do that at all. Exactly. But I think it's also a really bad strategy to get too much of that because uh, the number of actions you are spending to mitigate the bad things that you've done becomes and the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. Wow, that's a great way of saying it, Tom. I wish oh, this podcast talked more about that one specific <laughs> thing. So, uh, great things about the game. So, uh, let's talk about the central actions that you are taking. I talked about some of the, some of the more minor things you did. But the way you're going to score points is by doing six main things to help your kingdom. Okay, Commission is taking these little monk pieces that are on your board and putting them out in the land and converting the faith. What you're essentially doing by doing that is you are uncovering spaces. Whenever you take that monk off, you're uncovering a blue space. And a blue space means you're going to move up one on a track. You have three different, uh, what would you call them, attributes sure, that each sure. player has. Like uh, you have prestige, you have faith, and you have strength. Yeah. Right, strength is for military. Uh, faith is for converting people and, and and keeping the faith. And prestige is is how much people respect you. All these start at zero, but we're going to have paladins that will affect that. They'll give us temporary boosts in these sorts of things. When you get up to the top of the chart of those things, like twelve points, the twelve point space is worth twenty points at the end of the game. If you get any one of those three attributes to twenty to uh, twelve points, you're going to get twenty points. Uh, 11 is only going to get you 16, 10 is only going to get you 13, you get down to 7, and you're all the way down to 6 points. So uh, this is heavily weighted to the top of the scale. So what you want to be doing is taking actions whereby you are going to be moving these metrics up and up and up and up and up as much as you can. Uh, But there's a trick to it. The game is kind of designed pretty well so that you cannot only move up one. Exactly. You're, you're kind of restricted to a certain balance. Like you need to have a certain amount of prestige in order to get a certain amount of faith. And faith, you know, and, and there's a, a calculus to it. But like you, you kind of have to move at least two together, but generally three uh, so it's it's fairly balanced. Uh, it, it prevents a runaway situation. I've done pretty well with uh, focusing on two uh, and moving up the third one only as much as is necessary to get the other two. Uh, to, to describe it, uh, moving these monks out by the commission action, uh, moving them out unlocks a uh, blue space. So you're going to move up the prestige track. By putting these monks out in the villages, you are upping your prestige. But where you can put these monks is limited to how much faith you currently have. If your faith is at zero, you can only put your monk on one of the first three spaces on in the uh, in the lands area. And once those spaces are full, guess what? You can't put out a monk until your faith is higher. Another one, absolve. Absolve is kind of the opposite. It is uh, when you put when you take an absolve action, you are unlocking a faith move. So you're going to move up one on your faith. Uh, but then the action that you take from that is going to 
generally help you. Uh, it, how, how would you put it? Uh, you can only unlock an absolve action if you have the proper amount of prestige in order to do that. And you'll get a little bonus. All of these things give a little bonus. Bonuses like get rid of one of those suspicion cards that you have, or pick up a white guy, uh, you know, and so you have another another worker that you can use, or a different color worker. Uh, sometimes there'll be pieces which says uh, grab one of the villagers who will benefit you for the rest of the game, and you don't even have to pay him, so you you get him for free. Uh, take two coins. Various various actions along those lines. And the thing is, is that there are six of these. Uh, commission is putting the monks out. Absolve is basically moving these jars, uh, jars around on your board and filling up spaces. Fortify is drawing from a wall deck and building a wall at the top of your player board. Uh, attack is there are going to be these, uh, in addition to those villagers that we described, those nice and friendly villagers that are available to you, there are also going to be these outsiders. And there's going to be a list of seven outsiders that are going to be available each and every round. Barbarians and thugs. and Yeah, so they're outsiders. So let's go kill them or let's convert them. That's the- <laughs> Those are the only two options. It is uh, murder them or... And by the way, and, uh, and the paladin that you start with each round, let's talk about the paladin before we get to too much farther. Uh, the paladin is really really going to be what is going to dictate what you want to focus on this round. You have a deck. Everybody has an identical deck of 12 Paladin cards. You're going to shuffle them up, and you're going to deal three to yourself. One of them, you're going to flip up on your player board, and that is the Paladin that Paladin du jour. It is the Paladin you have this round. Uh, the other two, one you're going to put on the top of the deck, and one you're going to put on the bottom of the deck, meaning... One of them, you're going to possibly say, I think that might be a really good uh, paladin to take next turn. And that'll be one of the three cards you draw next turn. The paladins themselves have a couple things. First of all, they have a temporary power. They have a temporary level of one or two traits. So one paladin might have a temporary uh, prestige of three and a temporary faith of two. That means that even if all of your things are down at the bottom and at zero, right now for this round, you've got a uh, prestige of three and a, a faith of two, and you can take actions as though you have those things. Second thing is they have two people on their thing. They, they have two vassals that sort of come with them, and they will specify that color. So this particular paladin, uh, you're going to get a red guy, and you're going to get a white guy. Right? You're going to get a fighter and a, uh, and a peasant or whatever, or something like that. And then the third thing is at the bottom of the card, it says your one little game-breaking power that you have for this round and this round only. Uh, for instance, with commissions, uh, when you put these monks out into the land, you have to pay provisions for them. The first three monks cost only a single provision. The next two cost two provisions. And the last two cost three provisions each to put them out. That can be very, very draconian and very, very expensive. So it would be really great if you play the right paladin at the right time and says you can commission monks and put them out there and have to pay no provisions. That sort of thing will happen. Uh, So with that, some of these guys are good at murder, right? They'll be good at the attack action. They're not good at. They'll pay you. <laughs> they'll give you like a tax oh, it's plus true. two. That's they'll, right. They'll give you t- and get two dollars. <laughs> so. Yeah, bounties. That's right. Exactly. So yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it all works out. It, it, there, the, the powers make sense like, with the game. There's no nothing out extraordinarily like op about any of the powers. They just make it convenient and they steer you into a direction where you will probably want to maximize that. Yes. Uh, for that round. 
Uh, one of the, listen, and it's a fun puzzle. It really, really is. It, it is. It is interesting. I have, I, I have the two guys from my paladin. Um, there will be these uh, in cards that we will choose one of in turn order, and that will give us another four people that will go in our stack. So we'll have six um, six workers to work with each and every round of the game. Uh, from a previous round, you can reserve up to three that you don't use that round, so that you can use them in the next round. So that's a that's your army, and that's what you can use. And these action spaces require anywhere from one to three workers to activate these spaces. So how do I best use these? How do I best do this? Like, okay, I'm, for instance, I'm using the Paladin this turn that allows me to fortify without having to pay provisions. I can build walls really well. So maybe the first action I'm going to do is I'm going to do a develop action, and I'm going to put a house on the fortify space. So now the fortify action only requires two workers instead of three. Then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the fortify action, and I'm going to take that. But then I don't want to just use it once if I can possibly avoid it. So, oh, I want to go to the prey action so I can pull those guys off and I can use fortify for a second time in this round. But there's a problem. Prey requires a black piece. It requires a cleric, and I do not have a cleric. So I'm going to have to go to conspire first, and I'm going to have to turn him into a thief, and a thief can be anybody. So then he'll be able to go prey. And you're trying to create these really interesting combinations of actions, and it really does work very, very well. There's a there's a whole bunch of things to take in and to focus on. Uh, your first game can be a little a little daunting in terms of the, the ways these systems interact. There'll be a point where you go like, oh, I did this all wrong. Uh, let's start over, and uh, I, I I know how to play now. And it, it's totally fine. It's it, it's it's not punitive. Like you know, it's like like for when I first played uh, the game with Tom and uh, Jennifer, uh, there was a point where it goes, oh, I'm doing so well, and they go, oh, I am not doing well. I have really <laughs> neglected this aspect. My game is completely stalled. But like within two rounds, I was able to unstall it and and not win. But <laughs> but but it, it was you know uh, I did fine you know uh, and so it's not that bad. You just have to recognize the rhythm of the game. That's what it comes down to. It comes down to rhythm again. Like you know, do you know what you need to do? Uh, and one play, half a play, will tell you the rhythm, and then you'll you'll know how to play the game. Do you feel like you're uh, you're a paladin of the West Kingdom? Do you feel like you're you're cleaning up the thing? Does does the theme mean anything to you when you're playing, Paul? It's really interesting because I was thinking about this, and the answer for me is no. Uh, but the, the way I I tend to abstract games like so far for all games that like you know it, like it's really hard for me to be you abstract the, Dune. No, I, that is one of the few I don't because like you know, but I, I love the IP so much. Like whereas this, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a paladin. Like I, I feel like this is like, hey, I'm I'm putting meeples down. I'm getting stuff. I'm beating Tom. I'm not beating Tom. You know, it, 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 that's how my brain works. Is that the theme of every game? When we're playing, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the theme is okay. I think it's I think it's okay. I, I think it all makes sense what you're doing. When I am putting a monk into the into the world out there, into the kingdom, I know what he's doing and I get it. When I put a garrison out, I know what that is. When I'm attacking one of these outsiders, Mm -hmm. I totally get it. When I've converted an outsider and now he's working for me and gives me a bonus at the end of the game, I get that as well. I don't think it's bad. I think it's, it's, um, I think it's pretty solid. Um, I think all of these games are kind of in that middle place, right? They, 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 
they're not the most noteworthy in terms of theme, but I think they all have a slightly different theme to each other that fits the the era that they're they're working in. The way that I would describe it for me, my my reaction to it is like uh, the artwork is very compelling to the point where I don't mind just doing all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even though I don't. It's not the theme isn't connected for me personally because it just feels uh, light and fun and like hey. Here, here, Here's we're doing stuff together, right? So, so I, I feel like the artwork is really good it, for the, the, all the like you know architects the same way. Like you know, I feel like it's a it hits the the right tone for what the game is. That's why yeah. I think these two games, or I haven't played what, what's the other one, the North Raider Raiders of the North Sea. Yeah, I haven't played that. But between Paladin and uh, and Architects, I feel the artwork has a really interesting uh, synergy with the style of gameplay. I feel like yeah, it, I, it, I I understand what you're saying. It, yeah. it 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 fits what it is. It's sort of giving you these small little little clues as to this is the kind of game mm-hmm. it is, right? Yeah. It's it's definitely not saying this is a huge heavy game that is super inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also not saying this is you know. Uh, it's 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 like elevated welcoming. Like you know, it's a little yeah. harder than welcoming, but like you know, it's uh, you're like oh okay, I can I can get this. I, I feel like this is a if this was my uh, gateway game to uh, you know Euros? I think that I would totally go. Oh my God! There are so many things you can do with games I had never considered from Monopoly or you know whatever. And I think that that this is where this the space of this game lives. Like you know this whole brand lives. I feel like it's a elevated plus, no, no, not elevated, like entry plus. Yeah. And listen, playing the game is fun and 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 tense in a lot of ways. Um, I need a purple guy because if I have a purple guy, I can do all of these mm-hmm. things that I can't do without it because I just don't have this one color that I need. But taking that purple guy takes a suspicion card, and now I'm going to have the most suspicion cards, which means I'm going to get a debt the next time this bank runs out, and I'm going to be in big, big trouble. And then there are other things where I've been busy building my wall until I realize, oh, in order to build my wall any further, I have to have a really high prestige, and I haven't done anything to raise my prestige. What am I going to do? Oh my goodness, now I have to do conversion or commission or attack. I have to do, uh, and each one of these actions in trying to do that action to get points so you can do the other action eventually gets to a point where you can't do that action because you need the third metric to be be raised. That is fun. That is a fun kind of balance where you're you're trying to push the game and the game pushes Mm -hmm. back and says, no, no, no. No, it requires a little bit more harmony. You got to think this through a little bit more. And that's that, fantastic. That's the space where I think it lives is great. Like you know, for for a, for a person who's who's not very versed in this type of balancing, I think this this forces you to go like, oh, I have. There's a consideration that I've missed, and then the mechanisms are not so uh, inaccessible that you couldn't adjust it mid game. That, that's why I, I like about this game. And, you know, I don't think. It's not my preference. I will, it's like Indian food for me. I'm not a big Indian food. I'm throwing all this stuff out there. Like, you know. Wow, Paul, you're really good. <laughs> No, I, I, I feel but, like I need to charge you for therapy. Today. That's right. And, and so uh, I think Indian food is fine, I'll, but I'll never recommend it. I, that's how I feel about this game. I go, if someone were to bring it out, we're, we're going to play this. I go, okay, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. But it's never something that I personally will, uh, will choose, but I recognize its craft. Are you hearing a lot of butts here? Are you hearing a lot of... Does it feel like another shoe is going to fall? Because it, it really is. All right. So 
one of the first things I said about this game is that your player board is equal to the size of the entire shared board for everybody else. That was a red flag for me. I was like, huh, I haven't seen this. Why haven't I seen this? Oh, it's because it sort of tells you, the real estate tells you the focus. And your focus in this game is heads down. You are staring at your board. Look, a worker placement game in which none of the spaces that you're placing your worker are blockable, in which almost every, and not every, because that main central board that has the seven cards that are that mark the seven rounds of the game, or actually eight cards for seven rounds, there's a little hiccup in there, but some of those cards, the last five of those cards are actually action spaces that only one person is going to be able to grab. And uh, the, the, the issue is that except for those, everything you're doing is on your own board. It is unblockable, and that means it's also unaffected by the other players of the game. The amount of times when there is actual player interaction is very, very light in this game. Occasionally, somebody will put a monk or a garrison on the spot that you wanted to claim. Occasionally, somebody will murder or convert the outsider that you wanted to murder or convert. But other than that, there really isn't much of anything. Well, did you have that problem with Orleans? Because I feel like that is this is the exact same, um, you know, setup. I don't think it really is. I mean, it, it's similar. You, you have your own personal board. You you put stuff on your board that no one can affect, and there are secondary boards that you adjust. You know, like and sometimes you can deny this person this. Uh, well, those adjustments those adjustments are more substantive than they are in and, this. And, and so, and, and by the way, and, and by the way. Truth be told, I am not a huge fan of Warrior. Yeah, there you go. I, I I think that that is that is a uh, a true true statement. You are not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let let's let's break it down. So there's a couple other niggling complaints. We don't need to get to them. They're they're not, they're not major. I think that uh, look, this is a game where everybody plays. Everybody is exactly the same at the start. You're drawing your three paladins, and which paladin you choose to play uh, affects how your game goes. But your games don't divert uh, absolutely much from each other, which means it becomes a game where it's a game of inches, where my play of this, where I got this tiny little mm-hmm. advantage over you, is all that's going to be between sure, sure. me and you in the game in a lot of cases. So it makes little imbalances uh, magnified. It, there's a compounding interest to that. Yes, uh, So if Fortify, if the wall building, for instance, is a little bit better than the other six actions, which are all built to be essentially balanced, Balanced. that's a problem. If attack, when you're attacking these people, requires less resources and requires less planning in order to do it, which it does, um, that is an imbalance as well. When you have a situation where every time you take a Conspire card, that Conspire card is either going to give you zero, one, or two money in a game that is extremely tight on money. That is an imbalance. See, like The things that you were saying, I absolutely agree with. At the same time, my interpretation of those things are different. Like, I, I see all that, and I go like, well, that's, that's the fog of war of the game. You know, like this, is, this game is not meant to be taken. You're not going to play a tournament of Paladins. <laughs> that's not, it's not really designed for that. I feel like... It's designed for, this is a gateway game uh, for between, you know, heavier Euros and 
uh, concepts of heavy euros and people who have not newbies. And I think like in that space, like, like I said, uh, it really does well. I'm not a person who, like I said, it's Indian food for me. So I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I think architects is a better game for me. I know you have some deferring opinions. I don't love that either, but I do like it better in the sense mm-hmm. that it is more, there is more interaction with, sure, sure. with other players. Absolutely. Uh, I played with, uh, listen, Matt, I will say, I will be the voice of Matty here and say that he disagrees. He likes this game very much. And he had to do a little bit of looking inwards and said, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't mind low interaction games. I kind of like low interaction and, games. And, and, here's, and here's where it comes down to. Like, I look at this game and I think of my wife, who happens to be like Matt, and they're both introverts. And so what they can both do is sit in a room with you and read a book for like four hours, walk out of the room and go like, oh my God, I'm sure glad we got to spend so much time together. I'm going like, what the hell just happened? And here's the problem. I played two player with Matt. (laughs) And at the end of the game, I looked up and I was surprised that he was in the room. I was like, oh, wow, you were here? Yeah, no. No, in in reality, I told him that I said, I don't think, he was saying, no, 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 there's more more player interaction than than you're giving it credit Mm -hmm. for. There's more going on. We played a two-player game, and it wasn't until the very last round of the game where he did something, and I looked up at him and I said, Matt, that is the first time you have done something that has forced me to do anything different than what I was, than what I was going to do. And that is, I'm going to say it, I think that's bad. I don't think that that is... Different. Now who is dropping the bomb? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's... Well, here, okay, so here's the thing. Okay, when Euro games first came on the scene... Mm-hmm. Amerithrash gamers or the, the people that have been playing all these yep, games yep. all this time said it is multiplayer solitaire. Sure, and sure. that was a slam. Yep, yep. That was a slam. It is it is multiplayer solitaire. There is you're not even competing against Absolutely. each other. What they meant is it is not take that. It is not face to face confrontational. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it was. Look, listen, there's a spectrum, right? Absolutely, a spectrum. Auction mechanics are very interactive. That's right. They're very, very confrontational. Uh, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Dimitri, right? Uh, worker placement on a board that everybody is sharing, and by me taking that action, you cannot take that action. I have to say that it is not what Ameritrashers think of as, as the most interactive, but... When my pieces are attacking, when my army units are attacking your army or vice versa, I do not feel the dread and the pain as much as when you took the four wood that I desperately need to build my, to build the next room on my wood house. To me, that is incredibly interactive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I realize it's not as interactive, right? Um, There are games where, there are men on men on the map, and men on the map can sure have yeah. a lot of play. We when we talked about tapestry mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago, we talked about how the size of the map meant that there was very little, even though it was men on the map, mm-hmm. there was very little player interaction because or, or you there, have, there's very little need for player interaction. Correct. You you have to go out of your way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's yep, not absolutely. something that we're, yep. we're that that the game is going to, you know, uh, listen, push towards. Yeah, exactly. The knife fight in a phone booth, right? Yep. It is not a. It is a knife fight in an arena, <laughs> right? And yep. and that's a it's, a. it's a different tension. Uh, <laughs> which 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 scene would you want to watch in a movie? I don't know. It depends on who who I like. I would love to be the stalker, look chasing the person running away from me. I'd love to, <laughs> that. That's it's a, a slasher movie at that point. <laughs> it's a football stadium. You could go anywhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's going to take hours. It, it is one of those things. But at a certain point, so I, I think Euro games taught uh, taught the earlier iteration of gamers that no, actually there is some nuance to player interaction that isn't just take that, that sure, isn't sure. just me smashing you in the face and you smashing me in the mm -hmm. face, but but rather the careful choice of what mm -hmm. resources to take, of what actions to take, uh, what auction, what Absolutely. what to bid in an auction can have a tremendous effect on people's games and yet give you some agency where it's not simply I roll this many dice and I see how many hits you get, that is a deeply, deeply interesting game experience, even though it is less interactive. Sure, sure. But at a certain point, and maybe it is personal taste, but I, I have to say that I do think it is more than just personal taste. Mm -hmm. I think that there, there is at some point an axiom here that why are you playing board game with other people if you're not, if nothing in the game is interacting with the other people? And, and of course... It is not nothing. Sure, absolutely. It is not nothing in yes. this game. Yes. Uh, and the four-player has more interaction than the three-player. Mm -hmm. The three-player has more interaction than the two-player. Uh, but uh, they're all really, really light on that. And they're, they're, they truly are largely multiplayer solo games in a, in, 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 to a significant degree. And I think that's, I think that's wrong. Uh, so to, to recap, like, you know, and this is me just spinning it, like, this game has triggered you. <laughs> It, 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 it basically legitimizes like uh, what four Xers uh, accused Eurogamers of doing before multiplayer. This is this is in your mind multiplayer solitaire. This does not elevate the uh, uh, that argument. And and I, and I don't disagree. Actually, I would say though there are many games, or at least there are games that play like multiplayer uh, solitaire for a while. Like for example, one of my favorite games that I rarely play is Roads and Boats. And sure. it, it turns out, like, you know, in the very beginning... Oh, it, it is, it, right. It, it, is, it is. You're just on your own. And only after, like, you know, days of playing or whatever of playing, like, you go, oh, I could take his paper and this will make my life a lot easier. <laughs> and, oh, and so, but, well, okay. So I'm not going to get into a road and boat story because <laughs> we're running late already. But I will say it totally depends on who you play with. Exactly. Uh, there is... There's uh, the option, so... The, if you were to play with Mark Now and Chuck Tolman and and I, and and those guys, we are going after each other like like killing geese. I am <laughs> grabbing your your one goose, so and, you can't yeah. make this, and so you can't do that. Sure. And we are we are spending all the game takes forever because you're supposed to be spending these very limited resources mm -hmm. you have in the game building roads and rafts and mm -hmm. and. Exactly. Pa paper mills mm -hmm. and things like that. And instead, all we're building is walls across yeah, each other's roads, exactly. <laughs> trying to keep oh. each other from taking our stuff. So it, it, it can it can play different ways. Um, look, you hear it. If you like those low interaction games, if you play Tapestry and you really like it, I consider that to be a, a surprisingly low interaction a game. Um, this might be a really good game for you because everything we said positive about it, and there's a lot positive mm -hmm. to say about this game. It's still absolutely true. But at the end of the day, it is not, uh, the juice is not worth the squeeze for me. It is not worth the squeeze for me because I am not um, playing against you. My actions have nothing to do with any other player there. And that is a fundamentally less interesting experience than it would otherwise be. And I do think some of the design decisions are not very good. The the uh, the first special card that only one person can access, one of the few times when a person could take an action that somebody else might want to take, happens in the third round of the game. It happens in the third round of the game in a two-player game, in which case the start player, who already has an advantage, 
gets another advantage by being the first person to access that card. It happens in a three-player game where it should happen because the last player then gets the advantage. But it also happens in a four-player game in which the fourth player is 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 kind of left out. I would say that um, we are in a place in the in the design uh, space of our hobby yes, yep. where we are standing on the shoulder of giants, where we are taking great game designs and we're making them better and better and better. Uh, I will say the early designers in the '90s knew how to do what they have not done in this game, which is they've created mathematical, they've noticed mathematically that we need to make sure that we create this little situation where the last player gets this, is the first person to do this and gets that, and gets that benefit where because everything is so tight because everyone has the exact same starting position and the exact same actions to take that we have to balance these six strategies out i don't think that they've entirely done that in this and and that's and that's a sad thing because earlier designers uh were meticulous about that like from my perspective and we can end it with this like you know i think this hits a tone i think this hits i think it achieved what it's trying to do it's not what i like don't misunderstand me but I, I will say that I feel like they achieved what they're going for. And I think there is a market for the, a type of gamer who enjoys this, this, this tone uh, and this level. You know? So uh, maybe try it out at your uh, local board game shop and see for yourself. Like, you, know, uh, you may or may not like it. it yeah. It's not everyone's cup of tea. And if you're a and if you're a light interaction gamer, if if you know that that doesn't bother you at all, you very well might love this game. That was Paladins of the West Kingdom, punished, published by Renegade Game Studios, and should be available just about everywhere, just about now. Moving on, let's talk about our member specific segments. Paul, me, tell me. Tell me, what are we going to be talking about, about you and games? Well, you know, we don't have a lot of time because we're running fairly long. But, you know, I we, figured... We'll be, we'll be okay. Okay, well, I, I, I feel like we should go through... Well, I want to go through, like, moments in my life that have shaped uh, my board game persona, style, you know, just my... <laughs> whatever you want to call that. <laughs> so how I got damaged That's about, to how, this how, point. Here's how I got to here. Like, my, uh, my backstory... Uh, so I, would, I feel like I feel like I'm about to watch the Joker. This this that is not inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think uh, there are three three monikers you can give me, like you know, or three aspects about me that uh, will apply to games. Would you like me to guess? Go for I, it. I don't think you want me to guess. No, no, you, you should go for it. You, you should go for it. Um, would Game Breaker be one? Or that, that, that is the that's the obvious one. Sure, and, sure, sure. Yeah. That's the obvious one. I would say. The tester, sort of, uh, sort of what I think. Maybe it's two part of the part mm-hmm. of the same thing. I think uh, you are mostly interested in drama in the game and and <laughs> and fun in the game well, that, more, more than more than winning or losing. You you want to that, that, you don't want to just break a game. You want to break the person. Well, that is that is the meta gamer, isn't it? <laughs> Which uh, and the last thing that you know about me is that I'm a bit of a gambler. Big time. So, like you know, uh, we, we have we have we have family conversations about this not infrequently. Uh, and so, <laughs> like I, I was looking back at, at my life, and I was going like, "Where did this come from?" And I remember this specific moment. I was probably five or something, and I was playing Candyland. With I can't remember who, but uh, I was stuck in the swamp. Uh, and so, if you remember the molasses, the molasses swamp, swamp. That's right. Like you know, 
you need a specific card to come up and then you'd win. But like someone's from behind is like, is chasing me and I'm like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And I'm going like, okay, I'm going to will that card to come out. Like, you know, oh, one, no. two, three, boom. And it comes out and I win. Yes. You know, the, the heavens cheer. And I think that's the first moment where I, you know, like, even though there's no agency in Candyland. Did like, you think you were Neo? Of course. Like, uh, I still think I'm Neo. Like, you know, but, but, but here, here, here's, here's the thing. Like, you know, at least the way I see my uh, specific gambling paradigm is there is the math of winning and the math of, uh, of, of your gameplay. And like casinos, there is a gap. The gap is generally like, you know, one or two percent. But in between those one and two percents, the casino builds billion dollar casinos because everyone loses the ground. And the gambler in me goes like, ah, but I can bridge that gap with my persona. <laughs> <laughs> my personhood can overcome that two percent. And it started with Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so I think that's, that's where my gambling propensity started. Like, you know, uh, the next moment in my formative, uh, childhood was probably when I discovered uh, fool's mate in checkmate, you know, in chess. Sure. Sure. I, I, I invented it. Oh my God. These four was, it was me all by myself. <laughs> I did it. No one in the history of chess has ever come with it. I am a genius. Or it, it, but and that was the predecessor of Game Breaker. You know, like you're like, oh, I broke this. This game doesn't even work anymore without. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, so that's that's what uh, uh, that was Game Breaker. But then we flash forward to another, I don't know, like six years, and we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And uh, I was playing against someone. Somehow we got to dueling. And have he, I ever played a role playing game with you? Apocatom. Oh, a pocket top. Of course, of course, a pocket top. <laughs> uh, for everyone that does not know, I uh, ran a short campaign of Apocalypse World yeah. uh, with uh, Paul and Matt, Matt Alfred, Al- Matt Alfred, and Jim Fitzgerald. I think was Trey in it too. Trey was in it. Trey was in it. Oh yeah, Trey was in it. Trey was in it as well. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it was between Tom Apocalypse or Pocket Tom. I think we went with a pocket top. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so and this guy cat like he cast a dig on me. Like, you know, and so I fell into a hole. Sure. And w- which is fine. But then he cast Dispel Magic and the hole filled in. And I just died. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like going, oh, my God. It just completely broke the, you know, how I saw. The, uh, it reminds me of like Grimtooth's <laughs> traps. Do you know what that is? I don't. Uh, there was the there were these books of unique traps that GMs would, mm-hmm. would buy. And then they would put that trap in a dungeon. And I remember like. One of the worst ones was the whipped cream dungeon, the whipped cream pet pit. Sure, because you fall into the pit and you suff- and you suffocate and drown instantly because you yeah because whipped cream everything's slippery and you can't breathe and you can't breathe it in yep. and, and and you die you die instantly because you can't float in it exactly. Uh, it's one of those. It, it was a very similar like uh, sure. okay fine yeah yeah and so with this like you know. It really started me thinking, like between the fools made, this, you know, this, this kind of idea of like, oh, there, there's this, there are ways to break things that the unintended things that you can do to break, and it really just, you know, it's, it's that hacker mentality. Uh, not that I'm a hacker, but if I were, I couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're not a hacker. Uh, and uh, and then I had this, the, my first metagaming experience mm-hmm. that I remember 
was Pictionary. Okay. Uh, Pictionary uh, is one of those, you know, you, you play Pictionary, you draw, blah, blah. And one, at this one game, I remember the word was cactus. And the, pers- the, the, team on the, uh, the team I was playing with, they were you know, drawing desert and blah, blah. And I go, no. And I just drew very slowly the arm of the cactus, as you would see like in like Bugs Bunny or something. And before that arm was completed, someone said cactus. And I realized at that moment that it's not just what you draw. It's also how fast you draw and your demeanor and how you draw. And in fact, your drawing is kind of irrelevant. It is your ability to communicate Right. Uh, so by the, drawing slowly, you're you're indicating yep. this is very simple. This is like this is this is not a big, huge, long thing. I draw you this one thing, and it's, you should get it. it. And it's, it's emphasis, but more importantly, the game is actually not has nothing to do with drawing. It has actually your ability to communicate an idea. And drawing happens to be the one, one of the few things you can use, but it's not the only thing you can use. And I realized, oh, you know, life is kind of like that. <laughs> Like, you know, we play these games and they're not, you know, exactly like, for example, when everyone in our game group has a certain persona, like, you know, I I feel like when Jesse plays a game, he plays it to win. That is, you know, and that competitiveness is how he approaches life. Like, you know, Trey is uh, designing, like, you know, the perfect engine and he kind of approaches life that way. I'm a person who really am playing people and so you know i'm i'm thinking i can find the shortcut the insight by knowing people and, you know and, and and dimitri you know for all of it thinks that he can win just by putting his head down and just being and just holding tight and bracing and and like hoping no one notices he's doing right. well yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that's exactly what it is it, guys dimitri's winning i am not winning <laughs> i'm not look at you you have all these points i am not winning and, and so like with that from in the stem from Pictionary from from that moment where I go like, oh, there's a an approach on how you uh, how you're dealing with everything that isn't what the rules. It, there's this other layer. And, and so that that was that moment where that sure, came. Sure. Uh, and like, you know, uh, when I was in Australia, mm-hmm. there was a casino in Alice Springs Uh-oh. Uh, and uh, I got fixated with craps and uh, and blackjack. You know, and so like, you know, uh, craps because like, you know, there is the thrill and blackjack because it's one of the few games that you can actually beat the casino odds if you play right. And, you know, uh, as my wife told you, our, our stories in Vegas of blackjack that you have. I've been with you in Vegas, with blackjack, oh, you sure, know, sure. Uh, but like, you know, uh, it was this aspect where, you know, it, it's, it's a, giving the gambler in me like the, the bad thing. But there was this moment in uh in what you call it, in, in my plays where I just had to stop because I, I was, you know, I was making, I had this discipline of like, I'm going to go to the casino, 10 minutes, an hour, four hours, I'm going to make 100 bucks, I'm going to come back home. That's what I'm going to do, B. B's my wife. Uh, and she goes, okay, whatever. And at the... <laughs> at, at Very the, good impression. At, at the end of three months, you know, she goes like, why isn't everyone doing this, Paul? Like, you know, and I go, mm, I don't know. But then we went to Melbourne and there's a casino, uh, the, the Crown Plaza in Melbourne. And I'm playing and I'm going like, this is a grind. God, I hate this. Like, you know, I'm just going to bet more. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm betting like, you know, my, my bankroll does not, you know, warrant what I'm betting. I'm like betting like $100 doubling down. Like, you know, and I have like maybe like $1,000. And I'm, I'm just, it's just completely risky. And, yeah. you know, and, and I made a, a bunch of money that, 
that thing, but I had to stop. I go like, this is, I'm, I can't, I'm too close to, I'm, I'm searching for the thrill, not the, not the money. And when that came about, like, oh crap, <laughs> yeah, I have to, yeah. I have to stop. It, it's just not, it's that's not a good aspect to me. I used to play a lot of poker. I mean, we had the uh, Silver Lake Rounders is a, a group of, uh, well, God, actors, and it's all people in the movie industry, like like some, you sure. know, I wouldn't say famous, but not not unknown uh, actors, writers, directors, you know, executives, and and so on and so forth, and. Uh, one of our guys actually became a, he was a winner on the World Poker Tour and stuff like that. So it was a fairly high level of competition. Um, and I would play there. They would have a monthly tournament and it was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And at a certain point, I would occasionally go to Hollywood Park Casino and, and to brush up on it. And the moment I would go into that actual casino and play it, even though I was doing okay, like I wasn't doing great, sure, sure. but I wasn't doing horrible. I sure, wasn't, sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I I'm a decent I'm a decent poker player. I'm not great, but I'm I'm I hold my own. Um, it was a grind, and I I was just like, I'm the guy that's talking, right? I'm the guy mm-hmm. that's not worried about my tells. I'm actually getting more info. I'm getting more information, or or I'm putting people into a psychological state that's unused to what they're in, and I get more of an advantage out of that than you're getting from me most of the time. Not every time, but sure. most of the time. Uh, and I love that. And these people, you know, at the casino, they're not they're not engaging. At Silver Lake Rounders, mm-hmm. they know me. I know them. We're, we're joking sure, sure, around sure. and all that sort of stuff, and I'm having a blast. But actually playing poker and actually trying trying to make money in these places. It was such a soulless grind. I couldn't take it. Well, people are, you know, people are playing for insulin money. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. So, uh, yeah. So, so you know, like, so that was, like, that that really took away a lot of joy from playing. You know, just the idea of uh, when I had to go, I had to step away from the game because that thrill. Mm-hmm. But that thrill came back when uh, uh, we moved to Florida for a bit. And we had a Catan, you know, uh, tiddly wings. I mean, Catan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I used to play w- with my wife and this other couple of ours. And uh, what I found was like, I, I was better. For the- so what I would do is I would just explore the space. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, what I would really do is try to get my wife to the point where she could almost win. And then her eyes would turn black, shark dead eyes, and, and then she'd be like, you know, you, you I could hear her salivate <laughs> at the prospect of winning, and I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> should, should we talk about the family games of Seven Wonders we've had? Oh, sure, sure, sure. We play Seven Wonders as a as a family with you know, it's it's me, my wife, my two kids, Paul, his wife, uh, Grandma, and Greg, mm-hmm. who's the who's the brother of them. That's seven people. So we play this seven-player, seven wonders that we will play. It's the one game that, you know, Grandma and B both, both and Greg both know, and I don't have to teach them every single time. And it is hilarious that Paul will be at one, invariably, we're never near each other. He's at one end of the table. I'm at the other end of the table. 
and we're just looking at who we're sitting next to and Paul and I just glance at each other over the table and we're trying to figure out okay who am I who am I going to try and help because it's card drafting so I'm giving am I going to give the card that I know that you know mom wants or my niece <laughs> or my niece <laughs> exactly and yeah, so we're all we're doing we do similar things like that at the at the at the dinner mm. table. Just you know, not not throwing the game, but definitely putting a finger on the scale a little bit. But, but I feel that you do it because, like you know, you love everyone, and I do it because I want to see my wife, like, and even now your daughter, like you know, get really like, oh, I can win. I'm gonna kill everyone <laughs> in this room so I can win. I love that. I love like you know that you know that pulling away of the veil to see like you know that naked ambition uh oh my daughter is a killer she is a killer <laughs> <laughs> have you ever won a game of memory against her i have not you know uh she i don't is, think anybody can yeah like she is uh she is she's she, she's not far from the tree <laughs> <laughs> i want i want to ask you a question paul because here's the thing yeah uh in this game paladins that we just played yep. you lost because you overemphasized the one action that was gambling in the game. Yeah. Taking the sure, sure. suspicion cards that mm-hmm. either give you no Absolutely. money or one money or two money. Absolutely. And you did it and you did it twice as much, three times as much as anybody else at the at the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And you lost because of that. And yet when we play Ricochet Robots, mm-hmm. which is a fast mental mathematical calculation sure, sure, sure. game mm-hmm. you you and i are the you and i are the tend to be the best at it. anybody can win sure, but, sure. but you and i tend to do really good you're really really good at the math and you're really mm-hmm. good at all these sorts of things and i think that this this predilection of yours is actually Oh, it's absolutely the case. Like you know, like like I've come to. You know what I'm saying? It's oh, oh, it's, oh. it's it's holding you. Oh, oh, <laughs> it's oh, holding you back. I, I, but here's the thing. Like I don't come to game night to win. In fact, like you know, if I really think about it, yeah. I come to lose. It, it, it's it's a weird thing. I, I was I was thinking about it. I go nothing. Like when we play Avalon, nothing makes me feel better than being beaten. Not by a lot. I, I do like winning. The, sure, the winning. sure, sure. But nothing uh, like being beaten means that I need to grow. Like you know, right. and and when I play uh, when I play games that gamble, like I can sit down and I go, okay, here is the optimal move. Here is uh, like I I believe I could get better at any game that we have here to the point where I could win consistently just by study. I think anyone could do that. I think anyone could just go like, oh, here's how we well, like if I play fresh fish, I'm going to go. Here's actually the better way. I think if you just sit down and spend the hours to go like, here's here's what I'm doing wrong, and here's what I'm uh, here's why I need to adjust. We could do it. The, the problem it winds up being like blackjack again. It winds up being like uh, this grind that you go. I don't want to come here to 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 grind out like a win. I don't care about winning that much. Like what I, <laughs> what I care about it, which it comes, this is very interesting. Uh, when I, when it happened on Tuesday, when we we're playing, you know, flappy birds, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I go like, the only thing I'm really uh, looking for is everyone laughing. Right. You know, everyone laughing at like, Oh, that was impossible. That that's all I'm really looking for. I, that's why I come to the game night for is for us to all have a good time. And I have to balance that because Trey wants one thing, Jesse wants Dimitri wants another thing, and I'll push the scales, you know, as far as like the the social aspect to one or the other. But sure. Like, but like, but in the end, like you know, 
if everyone can either be laughing or they go, oh, my God, that was so good. Those, <laughs> those, those are the two things that, you know, that, that I want. I feel like that's different than what I'm talking about, though, because what I'm actually talking about is, is that you're, you gravitate toward things that are not your strength, and it, it has no effect on whether or not other people are enjoying their game. Give me an example, like 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 the like the gambling here. Well, yeah, well, like like nope, nobody was nobody was oh, like. Oh, oh no, that that's I'm I'm saying because that, because nothing in paladins affects anybody else. That didn't affect anybody else. I I, I was gonna <laughs> say the reason I did that was because that's the type of game that I play. A looser game, like in in poker, uh, I play loose aggressive, sure, as opposed to tight aggressive, and and that has it's very swingy. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and but that is you the, need a big bankroll to to sustain it. But if you can, that's a very a, a, good way to go. And so with that, like you know, like I'm I played the two games I played Paladin. I I played that way. I was going like I, I need to see like as an engineer, I need to see the limits of what the the paradigm can sustain. Mm -hmm. and, and so like you know, I'm going here. And you know, the first game we played, like I was like two points away from you. That two points, sure, is, yeah. it's basically. Two, uh, two of my zero uh, cards. If I had money, you know, if I, if I had money on those cards, you know, that's, I, that's saving a guy versus you know, saving an action. So, oh, like, you know, yeah. yeah, like this last game was less good, <laughs> <laughs> but but like you know, but uh, and with paladins, I play it like Keystone, Key, key Flower, Key Flower, Key Flower. So, like you know, that's just something I need to adjust if I'm going to play paladins more. But eventually, we'll talk about Key Flower. All I will, I'll say to people that don't know what it is, uh, it's, Richard Breeze did these uh, a series of games. Key is always in the title. Mm -hmm. uh, Key Flower is probably the best of them. They're, they're very interesting. They look like the sweetest, nicest, most pastoral village of the happy, nice people games, and they are the most brutal cutthroat. Uh, I, I believe that you know, like stomp your stomp your grandmother yeah. games. Before the expansion came out, I, I believe we stopped playing Keyflower because of how I played Keyflower. Because I would have all these men and everyone be out of actions, and then it'd be the next ten minutes each round watching me do my actions. People go, "No, I don't. I don't want to play. I don't want to see that." I, I yeah, I, it might, you might be right. You might be right about that because I recommend. I say, "Should we play Keyflower?" And a whole bunch of people are always like, "No." And I'm like, "Why? Come on!" It's not. It, first of all, what he's doing. Is not that unique. It's, it's not totally something you could do if you chose to. It's not it's, exactly. It's not it, it, exactly. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> I think Paul. Is there any last points you want to make? Yeah, I will say, like, in, in the last movement is, is coming to our group. Like, you know, in, in our group, like uh, from like going from Catan to here, uh, I'm able to do, do all three. I'm able to gamble. I'm mm -hmm. able to game break, and I'm able to meta game. I'm able to really. Uh, do all these things at once, which I really uh, appreciate. Like, you know, it's why I'm very protective of the group, like, you know, as, as it's dynamic, you know, because, you know, it's like a vampire. You don't want to kill the people. You want to just drain them so you can sustain. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, is, it is a wonderful thing when you have a group of people that love to come and game and they love to compete and try to win. But there's other things also going on. Exactly. There. They're 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 looking for opportunities of fun. They're looking for opportunities to get into other people's head, which isn't directly related to to that. Exactly. But they we we know each other and we we we're comfortable enough with each other that we can do that and we're not hurting feelings yeah, for like, the most part and have and have a really fun time. Do you know how hard it would be for me to find another group that that because I'm, I'm quite confronting when it comes to that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you're 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 a horror. And so, like the fact that I'm your brother-in-law, <laughs> like 
you just forced me upon everyone. You're like, oh, well, I have to use my brother-in-law. I go, yeah, well, you're, you're stuck with me now, guys. I will say that, that when I first was bringing you to, to game night, there were some people that were like, so what, what is it with Paul? Well, <laughs> well I, I want to say this. I announced my presence with authority with, uh, with uh, Wildlife. Oh, yes, you did. Yes. Croc strategy. You, you, you did. And people were asking after that, like, so is Paul going to be coming a lot? <laughs> Uh, he he had this epic game where he and a uh, friend of the friend of the pod uh, Chuck Tolman, um, one of them did something uh, antagonistic toward the other one, and then neither of them would back down. They were just fighting each other the whole time, and uh, I think it was a five or six player game. Yes, where player. Four of us had scores in the eighties, and you two had scores of ten, Nine, eight, zero. But, but I think everyone won. I think everyone, <laughs> or at least. Four people won, two people lost. <laughs> we were laughing so hard. Yeah. It, it was great. It was great. It was very uh, memorable. It, it still gets brought up. So, Paul, I would, uh, I would never not have you at my game table. You are a, a joy and a treasure. Uh, uh, do I hear a butt coming up? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else I chose to bring to game. That's night. right. But okay. you have to with me. With you. I have to, <laughs> and I'm kind of happy about it because you might not have been my choice. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, so that was it for uh, what, what I consider to be a pretty epic uh, trip down memory lane with old school. Let's do uh, one or two sommeliers sure. uh, real quick. Uh, here we go from Connor Burnett. Hi, I like slightly heavier board games, uh, but the only time I can convince my friends to play is when we are doing sillier deduction-based games, Spyfall, Resistance, etc. Are there any games that shoot the gap that could make both parties happy? Hopefully, something slightly heavier than Bang. People dogging on Bang. That's not That's not cool. I don't like Bang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there are. I think there are. Uh, it's a little tricky. I will say uh, one game is a game called Dead of Winter. Uh, Dead of Winter has a deduction element to it because we're all trying to survive from from zombies or in a cold place. One of us is going to betray the rest of us. Uh, not not that he's on the zombie side or anything like that, but he is going to think that the best way to survive is for only me to survive. Right? Paul strategy, as we call it. Uh, Even when I'm not. <laughs> even when you're not uh, but to complicate matters every other player in the game also has a secret objective card which gives them something that they need to do and invariably when you're out there and everybody needs you to do A and your secret objective card says I need to do B you're invariably going to do B and it's going to make you look like you're the traitor look like you're the person that's going to do that um so it is a slightly heavier game that is deduction-based. It also has a very good story element to it. You might just love it. It might just be a really good, really good thing. Paul, do you have anything? I always fall back to Battlestar. Sure, yeah. But, 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 uh, incredibly unavailable. Oh, is it? Yes. Well, uh, yes. Incredibly but, unavailable. But yes, uh, Dead of Winter is the not quite as good version of Battlestar Galactica, I think. Um, Absolutely amazing game if you can find it. Uh, highly recommend it. I'll also say uh, there's a game called Fury of Jack Dracula and mm -hmm. a game called Letters from Whitechapel, uh, which are versions of an older game called Scotland Yard. 
uh, in that case, it is a asymmetrical game in which one person is playing the bad guy, uh, Jack the Ripper in Letters from Whitechapel, uh, Dracula in Fury of Dracula, and the other people are the people that are hunting that person, and they are trying to work together to deduce where the villain is. Uh, very good, very interesting games that do have a pretty strong deduction base, but are on the heavier side. And they're not, they're not heavy games. They are not light games either. They're kind of uh, solidly no, medium. Like we played, Dra- B and I played Dracula with Rachel and Matt once, and I, I think that was a very successful engagement. Yeah, so I think that'd be a great one. Uh, we'll do one more. Um, hi, Matt. I have another game. I have another question from games. Oh, this is my brother. Oh, Brian Donnelly. Hey, Brian. Brian. How you doing? Uh, Hi, Matt. I have another game uh, question for the game sommelier. I have a group of people at work interested in playing games over lunch. In order for a game to work during lunch hour, we need to play in 30 to 45 minutes and should have a very quick teach. I'll be interested in the games like Love Letter, Splendor, and Azul first. I would like to expose them to deeper strategic experiences, but I'm not aware of any games that teach and play in under an hour. So do you have any recommendations for the perfect medium to heavyweight lunchtime game? Thanks, Brian. And thank you, Brian. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Uh, Democker. Clearly, Democker Clearly. is the game. See, like, that's, just, that's just a low-hanging fruit joke. I mean, obviously, what you want to say is Eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Ricochet Robots is a really awesome game that can play in 20 minutes and it is so intense so deep you can play with 30 people can be playing that game at once it it really is amazing uh i will say there's also an older reiner canizia game called through the desert through the desert essentially is multiplayer go uh you are putting different color um camels camels out on the desert and forming links and caravans and they can surround other caravans and score points that way. Very interesting spatial game uh, that is very easy to teach, very easy to start playing, and then you know you get a third of the way into the game, and you're like, oh, no, this game is so much deeper than I thought it was. So I think that's an, another great one. Um, Paul, would you say Seven Wonders might fit the bill? For- seven Wonders could, could do it, like especially if you don't have seven. Like You, know, you have like four people. Like I think that would very it's pretty, quick it's pretty quick yeah. and, and not too bad uh like for me like i would say if you have two players santorini uh goes by really quick sure sure uh, and and you can have two copies of that and play or the one that is pushing it but i think would fit would be five tribes you think yeah five tribes maybe maybe yeah. it's probably a little bit longer than, than an mm-hmm. hour you'd really have to to like you definitely if you already know how to play that might work with the teacher probably longer so it might be a two day two a fair to do that but like i think it's it's just very what you call it uh you could play it lightly or you could play it heavily like not sleuth though what sleuth i think you wouldn't be able to play in an hour you don't think so that's one of my choices you always want to put this crap in like sleuth is the sleuth is the best deduction game it is the simplest it is a sid saxon deduction game that is super simple and so incredibly deep and rewarding it's super clue uh, you know, basically, that's what. That's what yeah, it is. yeah, it's it's well, it's, uh, yeah. In, in that, it's an amazing deduction game that's better than uh, <laughs> any other deduction game that has ever been writ. That's all we got, people. Yep. Uh, I want to thank you all for uh, uh, tuning in uh, each and every week. 
I want to thank especially the people that uh, that uh, we have a pretty good group going on Facebook. We have a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of posts every single week. Uh, people, I believe the term "slagging each other off" is uh, sure, sure. Uh, happening all the time. A lot of a, a lot of really fun there. Uh, so you can find us on our YouTube channel. Uh, it is uh, youtube.com forward slash c forward slash gamebrain pod. You have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some friends with games or go make some friends with games. (laughs) 